Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Tragedy at the University of Virginia last night, leaving three students dead, two more injured, and a suspect now in custody. President Biden meets with Chinese dictator Xi Jinping in person for the first time since Biden took office. What does the meeting mean for human rights and for Taiwan? We hear from lawmakers and experts. A new exit poll on elections in Arizona says Republicans were negatively impacted by voting machine malfunctions in Maricopa County. That's as the governor's race there remains too close to call. And the balance of power is tight in both chambers of Congress. With a handful of House races left to call, the parties prepping to pick their leaders, including who will replace Speaker Pelosi if the GOP prevails. University of Virginia student is in custody for a deadly shooting Sunday night that killed three students and left two others wounded. Local police arrested the suspect this morning about 75 miles from campus. This is an unimaginably sad day for our community. The entire university community is grieving this morning. My heart is broken for the victims and their families and for all who, those who knew and loved them. And they are all in my prayers. The shooting took place on the university's main campus in Charlottesville. The students were on a bus returning from a field trip to Washington, D.C. The three victims who died were all current players on the UVA football team. The suspect, Christopher Darnell Jones Jr., was also a former football player for the school. And he was known to campus authorities for prior instances, including a hazing incident. He's facing multiple charges, including three counts of second-degree murder. Classes were also canceled for today and campus life was suspended this morning. President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping had their first face-to-face -face meeting today as top leaders. NTD's Iris Tao has more on what they discussed amid rising tensions between the two countries. On Monday, Biden and Xi met for nearly three hours to hash out some of the thorniest issues in their relationship. That includes Taiwan, China's human rights abuses, and an ongoing competition. Here's what Biden said about the two countries after the meeting. We're going to compete vigorously, but I'm not looking for conflict. I absolutely believe there need not be a new Cold War. And Biden notably said this about Taiwan. And I do not think there's any imminent attempt on the part of China to invade Taiwan. And I uh, made it clear that our policy on Taiwan has not changed at all. While Biden said the U.S. is committed to promoting peace in the Taiwan Strait, the Chinese Communist Party's readout of the meeting said there could be no peace with an independent Taiwan. And here's China expert Gordon Chang on Biden's Taiwan remarks. President Biden was firm on his points. The, the point that was the most important was that the United States would oppose any unilateral move on the part of either side to change the status quo. But Chang also knows a caveat. If the Chinese don't believe President Biden's warnings on Ukraine, then they very well may not believe his warnings on Taiwan. Meanwhile, human rights is another point of friction. Here's what Biden said. He was clear and I was clear that will defend American interests and values, promote universal human rights. The White House added that Biden raised concerns to Xi about China's human rights abuses in Xinjiang, Tibet and Hong Kong. But the Chinese statement made zero mention of them. Despite such diverging talking points, Biden told Xi that the U.S. is willing to work with him on issues like climate and food security. 
The United States stands ready to do just that and work with you if that's what you desire. But some lawmakers are sounding the alarm. Senator Marsha Blackburn said in a tweet, quote, Xi Jinping is focused on global domination, not working with the Biden administration on climate change. And Senator Tom Cotton accused Biden of being weak, saying Biden failed to acknowledge China's Cold War against the U.S., adding that it would further endanger Taiwan and embolden Xi. Meanwhile, the two pledged to keep communication lines open, and the White House announced that Secretary of State Antony Blinken would travel to China to follow up on Monday's meeting. Reporting from the White House, at Tao, NTD News. And while Biden says his conversation with Xi was, quote, open and candid, there's at least one issue they reportedly discussed that has long been fraught with tension and evasion, human rights. In a telling exchange moments before Biden and Xi were set to hold their discussion, a White House TV producer called out to Biden, asking if he would raise concerns about China's human rights abuses in Xinjiang and elsewhere. AFP White House reporter Sebastian Smith filed a travel report detailing the incident. Here's what he wrote. Instantly, a man from the Chinese side yanked the producer backwards. She lost balance without falling and was pushed toward the door. Two White House staff members intervened, saying the producer should be left alone. The event is just the latest in a growing number of physically aggressive incidents by the regime's diplomatic staff. But human rights watch groups say it comes as no surprise, though it does offer a glimpse, they say, into the regime's efforts to silence dissent and how important it is to dictator Xi to curate his image abroad. Earlier today, I spoke with executive director of the Falun Dafa Information Center, Levi Browdy, for his perspective on the meeting. Levi Browdy, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Now, human rights was only lightly touched upon during President Biden and Xi Jinping's meeting. The official White House readout only makes one mention of it, saying Biden raised concerns about PRC practices in Xinjiang, Tibet, and Hong Kong, and human rights more broadly. What do you make of this? Well, it is a bit of a concern, not just with this meeting, but it's 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 been a pattern over many, many years and many administrations to mention only human rights very generally and only in private behind closed doors. And unfortunately, that's something the CCP has leaned on Western governments for years to do. And despite being severely persecuted for over 23 years, there was no specific mention of the human rights abuses committed against Falun Gong practitioners in China. Do you think this is something President Biden should have spoken about with Xi during their first meeting? Yes, it's very much so. I mean, it's. I think what people don't realize is that there are 100 million people practicing Falun Gong in China when this persecution started. That's more than twice the number of everyone living in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Uyghurs in Xinjiang combined. I mean, it's an enormous population of people, and it's throughout China. In every single province, from university professors to housewives to senior military leaders, Falun Gong was everywhere, and it is today. And so to, to ignore the human rights abuses or to not mention the human rights abuses against Falun Gong is ignoring certainly the largest population of people being persecuted in China, but it's also ignoring what's happening with Falun Gong in China in response to the persecution. There are tens of millions of Falun Gong practitioners around China who 
are engaged in a very peaceful grassroots disobedience movement to inform the public about not only the abuses against themselves, but the tyrannical history of the CCP more broadly. It's really helping Chinese people wake up. So attention on Falun Gong really matters because of the size of, 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 of the group, because of the terrible crimes that have been committed against it, but also in supporting their effort to really bring about peaceful awareness and hopefully an end to the persecution inside China. Now, a member of the Chinese delegation today shoved a White House TV producer when she called out to Biden asking if he would raise human rights abuses in the meeting. What do you think this display indicates about the regime and its attitude toward being confronted about its human rights abuses? Well, there's two things there. And I, I think, you know, this was not a surprise to us. I mean, going back to the last 20, 20 years, We've had our own people, if they try and demonstrate in front of a Chinese leader or something like that, when they're traveling delegations around the, around the world, we've gotten beaten, shoved. I mean, this is very par for the course. It's very normal. The fact that it happened in such a high visibility position is not usual, but I think it does offer a glimpse to something, which is the second point I want to make, and that is, according to Freedom House and, and much of our studies and studies of other groups, China is the largest aggressor of transnational repression around the world, meaning they go after any voice that tries to give a voice to people who are being persecuted in China or just say something that the CCP doesn't like, and they systematically attack those people in Western democracies, let alone other countries around the world. We've seen this throughout um, the United States here with the Falun Gong community. We've had people beaten harassed, their businesses threatened, their family members back in China threatened. So this is, I mean, it was interesting because it was just a tiny little incident, but it really, it, it did show you a very small glimpse of, of what the CCP is engaged in worldwide to silence dissident voices, to silence journalists, to silence anybody who is going to shine a light on the human rights abuses in China. So I think it's very telling and people should pay attention to this and kind of explore uh, that behavior and, and what they're really doing around the world. And the Chinese Communist Party is criticized around the world for a number of things, but being confronted about its human rights abuses seems to be a particular sore point for the CCP. Why do you think this is? Well, you know, we've had, um, there was a leaked speech from a senior Chinese official that came out in about 2016, and he talked about how important it is to manage, especially these traveling delegations, especially when someone like Xi goes, goes abroad. And he was bragging that she had had 40 days of international travel without any kind of nuisance incidents. This is critically important because a lot of the CCP's own legit legitimacy inside China is to is their acceptance or their supposed acceptance on the world stage. And so it's critically important for them to, to, to micromanage every moment of any time a Chinese leader or Chinese official is traveling aboard, abroad. And, and that means they'll go to great lengths to silence people again in, in you know, Western countries, in, in democratic countries. And I think it also speaks to how afraid the CCP is um, for anything that might shine a little bit of a light on what they're really doing uh, to their own people uh, back under the communist regime. So going forward, what would you like to see Biden and his administration do in relation to human rights abuses in China? Very clear, and the evidence on this is very clear. Public, specific 
pressure. That's the only thing that works. Going back to the sanctions that the Biden administration did and before him, the Trump administration, multiple administrations have sanctioned Chinese officials specifically for their persecution of Falun Gong. And that has ripple effects throughout China in ways that maybe many people don't realize. Um, Chinese officials, Chinese police chiefs start worrying that they're going to get sanctioned and they start easing up in some cases on persecuting Falun Gong and other people inside the country. And so those kind of specific actions are the only thing we've seen that Western governments have done so far that have actually had an impact on the lives of people inside China. We need more of that. Indeed. Thank you so much, Levi Browdy, Executive Director of Falun Dafa Information Center. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And turning now to the midterms, the balance of power now decided in the Senate, narrowly in Democrats' favor. And a narrow majority will mark the House, too. Navigating Congress with a slim majority puts even more weight on the role of leadership. But for both parties, picking a leader is proving challenging. NTD's Melina Weiskopf reports. Lawmakers are back in D.C. and now's the time to pick party leadership for the new Congress. Republicans moving quicker than Democrats taking votes this week. Though some Senate Republicans want to delay. Senators including Marco Rubio, Ron Johnson, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz want to wait to see the results in Georgia. Republicans won't hold the majority in the Senate as the latest win in Nevada secured 50 seats for Democrats. The three reasons that we defied all the expectations. First, we had great candidates. Our candidates cared about people. Senator Chuck Schumer is expected to lead Senate Democrats. A formal vote will be held in December. But who will be the House Democrats' top leader? Pelosi is still holding back her plans. Uh, the wishes of my family and uh, the wishes of my caucus, but none of it will be very much considered until we see what the outcome of all of this is. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is eager to replace the speaker. Kevin McCarthy has worked extremely hard to understand how to get things done, work with people on both sides of the aisle. House Republicans will take a vote tomorrow, but McCarthy's bid faces pushback. Representative Andy Biggs says there will be a challenger and other members saying it's not a bad idea. For debate and deliberation and discussion, and some of that discussion will be passionate, and, and, and that's okay because democracy is supposed to be a little messy. While other members like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene call it a bad strategy due to the razor-thin margin the GOP is projected to take, the party needs to secure six or more seats for a slim majority in the chamber. And congressional leadership will have a challenging time navigating these waters moving forward because what we're looking at is a Republican-led House with a very slim margin of a majority, a Democrat-led Senate with also a very slim margin, and then, of course, a Democrat-controlled White House. So all of these uh, parts of the government will have to work together to move forward with legislation for President Biden to sign into law. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. As we continue to wait for the final counts in Arizona's closely watched governor's race, Arizona's Republican Party announced a recent exit poll. It says a significant number of Republican voters were impacted by Election Day machine malfunctions. NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. No, no way. Arizona's Maricopa County is no stranger to voter distrust. 
After the 2020 presidential election, voters filed lawsuits against the state's largest county, alleging the machines didn't count their votes. Also in 2020, the Republican Party of Arizona filed its own lawsuit, asking for an audit of the votes. Those cases were all dismissed. On Sunday, the Arizona Republican Party made new claims of voter unfairness. This time, they say it happened in the 2022 midterm elections. In a Twitter post, the party said voter suppression reared its ugly head in Arizona at the hands of Maricopa County. The party partnered with Big Data Poll to conduct an exit poll. The poll states that Republican voters in the state were negatively impacted by tabulator malfunctions. Looking at voter behavior, the poll states that voters who support Republican candidates were more likely to vote on Election Day, while the Democratic Party encouraged voting by mail. More than 58 percent of voters who identified as Republican reported issues while trying to cast a ballot. That's compared to a little over 15 percent of Democrats. And almost all of the voters who reported complications were from Maricopa County. The Gateway Pundit compiled video testimonies of several Maricopa County voters who experienced challenges on Election Day. And I was told that the tabulators were not working. People were standing in long lines. On November 8, the AZ Mira reported there were problems tabulating ballots at nearly a third of all vote centers in Maricopa. County officials explained that some ballots had been printed using incorrect settings and that the machines couldn't read the black lines on the sides of the ballot, so many votes couldn't be tallied. I tried it 13 times every which way you could. The people were helping me and it would not read. A poll worker explained one way votes could be counted. So when it's misread, you have an option to put it into what's called box three, and it gets read, whether it goes downtown and gets read manually, or whether it gets refed in into our tabulator. Box three was located underneath the machine where voters attempted to cast their ballots. If it couldn't be read, the voter could place the untallied ballot in the box where it would stay until the polls closed. A bipartisan team at the Central Election Center would count the ballots later. County Supervisor Bill Gates, a Republican, assured voters the problems didn't indicate fraud. What happened yesterday should not be used to question the integrity of the election. Again, everyone who was checked in, who showed up with a valid ID, they had the opportunity to vote, and those votes are going to count. On Monday, the Post-Millennial reported that Bill Gates and the Maricopa County recorder, Stephen Richer, also a Republican, started a political action committee in 2021 to stop MAGA Republicans. The PAC, called the Pro-Democracy Republicans, states on its website, the Arizona election wasn't stolen. We Republicans simply had a presidential candidate who lost. It's time we Republicans accept and acknowledge that fact. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And the House January 6th committee just got a green light to enforce one of its subpoenas on a close ally of former President Trump. The Supreme Court today allowed the committee to obtain the phone records of Kelly Ward, chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party. The House panel said Ward tried to help Trump stave off defeat in the 2020 election, and they want to learn whom she communicated with. Ward had asked the court to hold back the subpoena. She argued that her First Amendment rights would be chilled if the committee were to obtain the phone records. The chairwoman also said that the Democrat-controlled committee was engaged in an evidentiary fishing expedition against political rivals. Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito dissented from the ruling. 
And in California's midterm election to decide who will govern the Golden State, results show incumbent Gavin Newsom is in the lead. But it's the state's closest gubernatorial race since 2010. NTD's David Lamb has the details. As of Monday, preliminary election results show Governor Gavin Newsom leading the gubernatorial race over State Senator Brian Daly, 58.3% to 41.7%. California Globe reports that half of the votes are in. If the current percentages between Newsom and Daly continue to sit at 58 to 41%, Newsom will have the lowest percentage for a Democratic candidate since 2010 and Daly the highest for a Republican since the 2006 re-election of Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is the closest battle for the state's race for governor since over a decade. Back in 2010, former Governor Jerry Brown, a Democrat, defeated Republican challenger Meg Whitman 53.8% to 40.9%. In 2014, that range widened, with Brown re-elected over Treasury Department official Neil Kashkari 60% to 40%. And in 2018, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom won a 61.9% to 38.1% race against businessman John Cox. Governor Newsom's recall election in 2021 resulted in 61.9% of voters choosing for him to stay in office. The 2022 midterm election ballots continue to be processed with the election results to be certified by December 16th. TV host Jay Leno is suffering from serious burns from a gasoline fire. Reports say he was hospitalized on Sunday after a fire erupted in his garage in Los Angeles. Leno said in a statement to Variety, quote, I got some serious burns from a gasoline fire. I am okay. Just need a week or two to get back on my feet. Due to his injuries, Leno had to cancel an appearance at a financial summit in Las Vegas on Sunday. The former host of NBC's The Tonight Show has long been an enthusiast of car culture. And coming up in football news, the Washington Commanders and the NFL face a lawsuit from D.C. Attorney General. NTD's Dave Martin speaks to a legal analyst about how it could play out. Stay tuned for more in just a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. And now, turning to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The Washington Commanders, along with owner Daniel Snyder, plus the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell, have been named as defendants in a civil consumer protection lawsuit from D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine. The suit accuses them of colluding to deceive D.C. fans by lying about an inquiry into, quote, sexual misconduct and a persistently hostile work environment. Now the NFL conducted an independent investigation into the team's workplace culture back in 2020. The result was the league fining the commanders $10 million for having a, quote, toxic workplace culture, though the results of the investigation were never made public. This lawsuit seeks a court order to reveal those results. At its core, I really don't understand how this case is going to be a successful consumer class action. Aaron Solomon, who's the chief legal analyst at Esquire Digital, told me that in any kind of civil lawsuit, the plaintiffs have to show that they've been damaged. And that's where this thing that's going on with the Washington commanders 
and Daniel Snyder and the NFL kind of loses me because I, I honestly can't understand, you know, being a football fan, being an NFL fan and having followed teams over the years, how what the plaintiffs are claiming in this case really amounts to an injury that they can sue for. Solomon says that the attorney general could try to argue that the toxic workplace environment somehow led to poor results in the field, but it's a tough argument to make. So it seems to me that even if what the plaintiffs are alleging here is true, that the ownership was horrible and the team was dysfunctional, I'm not really sure how the fans were damaged. I think from a legal perspective, this is gonna be a real stretch. And moving on to tonight's sports schedule. Seven NBA games are on tap tonight, highlighted by a Celtics-Thunder matchup featuring two of the top seven scorers in the league in Jason Tatum and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Meanwhile, in the NHL, a quadruple header this evening featuring the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche hosting the St. Louis Blues. And finally, for you NFL fans, the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles host the Washington Commanders on Monday Night Football. And that's it for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.